Hey, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be here with you this morning. Um, I hope that you are excited to be here, and we are going to dive into this a little bit here in just a few minutes, I can't believe. But before we hit that, I just want to I just want to explain a couple of things this morning. Uh, many of you, you may be nor- you may be. Hang on, my normal screen that I look at is not up there. All right, which to some of you, you just automatically think a technical glitch, right? You're like, all right, we live with that because that's what happens whenever you depending on technology. But it wasn't a technical glitch this morning. Um, Tara wanted all of the attention on her over here this morning. Hang on, hang on, exactly. But, but hang on, just so you know, the rest of us thought that was a great idea because when you look at the rest of the stage up here, you're there like, it makes sense. We better, no, 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 no. That was very rude to say that we didn't want anybody looking at Jim over here. Thank you to the band. They do a great job. I am so thankful for all of them, the work and effort that they put in. And Tara, thank you for even letting me pick on you this morning in the midst of technical glitches and technical difficulties that come along and occur, right? Um, Hey, I want to remind you, or or I guess not remind you, but I want to let you know, uh, here as we start this new series and as we have this open house, and we are so happy that you are with us today. So thank you for coming out. Thank you for being a part with us. Uh, Those of you that are here early, you are to this early service. You are more than welcome to come back around noon Um, the late service, I may go a little late with them just to be mean, just to say, hey, you guys don't get the food. You guys come back early since you were the early people and you guys can go out and get the food early and we'll keep that late service in a little longer. Does that sound all right? Don't tell them that that's what we're doing. Don't text your friend and say, hey, you want to get here for the end of this one? So you get, but, uh, we, we want to invite you. You are welcome back. We want to encourage you. Come on back. Join with us here right around noon out, out front there and, uh, enjoy some of the good food. We have had some men out there working, um, hard all morning. I think a couple of them were here to get that smoker up and going around four or something like that. All I know is it was before anybody should be up. I know that much for sure. All right. Hey, and the other thing, uh, today we are starting this uh, 30-day series, uh, scripture reading. We want to encourage you, um, if, if you, if, if you don't have a current plan or if, or if you're at the end of a devotional plan and you're looking for something to do, you're looking for a new devotional plan, or if you're there like, you know what, I, I've kind of fallen away from doing regular devotions, we want to encourage you. I'd encourage, there are a number of these cards back in the back at, the, uh, at, at our table set up back there. I just encourage you, grab onto that. It's a 30-day Bible reading schedule. We would encourage you to pick that up, be a part of that. Join us in that Bible um, plan, reading plan right there. I think I think that nails it there, okay? So I think with all of that, let's get into this idea. I can't believe. I don't know if in your life you've ever been in a situation in your life where you're there like, Lord, give me a sign, right? Sometimes that's my favorite song when I think, right? Um, Christine Aguilera and whoever else sings with it, I, just, give me, just, just give me a sign. I just want a sign. Is there something there that you, can, that you can say, Lord? Is there something there that you can bring out just so that I know that I'm on the right track? Sometimes that's where we're at in our lives and we want that. And all of a sudden we're there, like, we come into church and we look around and we see lots of people that sing, they praise God and, they, and they're worshiping him. And you're there like, I, I don't feel that. And sometimes we start to think, where, where are you, God, in my life? This series, hopefully, hopefully as we go through this series, it'll catch you in one of the locations that you are in your life, in your walk with God, and it will encourage you along in your walk with God. This morning, one of the things that we're going to take a look at is this idea that some of us, 
Some of us, we think that we are doing all the right things, right? Some of us, are, for some of us, we may have been brought up in church, we were baptized, we were christened, we were a church member, whatever it is, and we've gone to church all of our lives, but did we miss it? Did, did, did we miss the work of God in our lives? Was it, did it just become about religion and about tradition and following certain rules? And that's where we want to be cautious. That's where we want to be careful in our lives. And that's where we want to inspect our lives. Is that me? Did I just become a religious follower and leave this relationship with God apart? Did I, did I set that aside for the sake of just following rules? So hopefully this morning as we go through this idea, I can't believe we get this in our minds and we check and we evaluate ourselves. If you are new with us here this morning, let me say welcome to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, let me say, hey, hopefully you were encouraged in this to be encouraged that we are not just rule followers. If you are somebody that is looking around saying, you know what, I'm not sure about that whole Jesus thing. I'm not certain, but I know that I like a lot of the people that are a part of that. Some of them I don't like, but we won't talk about them. But I, but I know that I like a lot of people, and some of them are very trustworthy, and I want them to work for me. But I just don't know that I buy it. If that is you this morning, I, I want to thank you for being here today because I, I, I want you to know this, this message right here, this is geared towards those that live a religious life. So you get a little bit of an inside look at what it is that we are talking about when we talk about Christianity. So I'm going to start this morning, we're going to start, when you talk about Christianity, it's always best to start in the book of Malachi. Yeah, two of you got that, because you're like, Malachi, is that, a, is that, is that there somewhere? Yeah, but we're going, to start with the, we're going to start with the book of Malachi, and um, if we can just, can we, can we just back up one slide for, there you go. All right, we're going to start right here with Malachi, and the reason we want to start with Malachi is because as we, as we open our Bibles and we look at that, and if you're wondering where Malachi is, don't, don't worry, I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then we're going to move into our New Testament, but if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, if you know where Matthew, if you know where your New Testament begins, Matthew, just go back two pages. Malachi is right there. It is the last book in our Old Testament and what we would, in the Jewish scriptures that we have. And it is the last book of the Jewish scriptures. And the reason I'm looking at this this morning is because Malachi took place about 400 BC. So it was taking place, so Malachi was written roughly 400 years prior to Christ, give or take a few years on one side or the other, maybe a little less than that. But Malachi was written, and when Malachi, when Malachi wrote his book, he was writing it to a group of people. He was challenging them. And it was the, the group of people were religious people. You see, the nation of Israel, they'd been carried off in captivity, and then they'd brought, been brought back. They were allowed to go back into Jerusalem. And at this point that we are looking at the story right here, um, if, you're, if you're interested in some of the history, it is during the Medo-Persian Empire. And uh, if you're interested in biblical history, it's post, it's, this Malachi is probably going to write post-Daniel. He is writing post-Ezra and Nehemiah returning all right, to Jerusalem, where Ezra rebuilt the temple, where, where um, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. He is writing post that, probably about 100 years after, roughly 100 years after um, Nehemiah, um, after Nehemiah and uh, Ezra had been back and rebuilt the, the city or portions of the city, the temple and the city wall. And as he, as he is writing this, Malachi is writing to the people that have become a religious group of people. All right? 
Judaism is back in practice. Understand, when they were carried back out of captivity and the temple was destroyed, there is no Judaism. There is, there is, no, there is no religion there where they are allowed to go and perform the sacrifices. Judaism is about the sacrifices. So when they are kicked out and the temple is beat down, it's shut down. They still worship their God, but their practices, they're no longer allowed to do. So Malachi is writing at a time when the temple has been rebuilt. They are practicing again. Priests are at the temple. They are offering sacrifices on a regular basis. Um, but Malachi, after Malachi finishes, the reason that I have this silence here is not because I wanted you guys to be silent, nor is it because you guys were saying, oh, hopefully Joel's going to be silent. Ah, that would be nice. Thank you for the two no's. The rest of you laughing now I'm a little concerned about, all right? But anyway, because after Malachi finishes writing his book, there's going to be about 400 years of silence. 400 years time roughly between Malachi writing, a prophet of God writing, and the coming of Christ. 400 years take place there, and God goes silent. So I want you to remember that. This is how it starts, an oracle the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So that's how the book starts, just letting us know what it is. And this is what God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Right, that is the question that they're asking right there. How have you loved us? The Lord's telling them, I have loved you. They're, they're like, how? Are you ever at that point in your life? Where you look and you say, God, I know that I know that you I know that I know that the New Testament, I know that Jesus said that you loved the world. And I and I know that I'm told that you love me. But I'm not certain right now. That that's where they were, but they weren't there because of a, of a special because of humility. They were there more because of their own pride, as, G, as Malachi continues to write on in this passage. He, he lets them know that it's because of their behaviors. He continues on a little bit later, and he says this, a little bit later in Malachi 1, he says, it is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. Do you realize who he's talking to? He's not talking to the sinner down the street. He's not talking to the pagan out in the world, but rather he is talking to the priest. Who is he talking to? The religious leaders. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. And they respond, but you ask, how? How have we shown contempt for your name? Malachi, in this first chapter, he goes on to continue how it is that they have. Um, why? Because they bring offerings that are not acceptable. They are bringing offerings that just were not acceptable to God, and they're just going through rituals. And finally, Malachi gets down and he says this, these words right here. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. Just shut the doors. Close it up so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hand. Malachi chapter 1. As he goes on throughout the book of Malachi, Malachi, this prophet that is proclaiming on behalf of God, lets, people, lets the people know that, listen, you are in trouble, and it is because of your behaviors, and it is continually a challenge to the religious people. It's not a challenge, as I mentioned before, to those that are outside, but rather a challenge to the religious people, those who were the rule followers. And he's not going to accept it from their hands. However, as he continues on, he offers some hope. And he also offers and says, listen, if you don't change your ways, 
there will be judgment. And when Malachi closes, silence. God is silent for 400 years until we hear an angel stepping in and saying there will be someone born. So sometimes we can't believe, and sometimes when it's that we can't believe, it's because we're religiously immunized. And what do I mean by that? It's we become so affected by just the traditions of religion. We become so infected, I guess, if I want to say it that way, or maybe that's not the right term to use when you're talking about being immunized, right? But we become so, we become so focused and just, well, I, I'm good. I said a prayer as a three-year-old. I said a prayer as a five-year-old. I mean, after all, my mom and dad told me about hell, and I said, who would ever want to go there? I don't ever want to be separated from you, mom and dad. So naturally, I want to be with God. And all of a sudden, we think that we become immunized to any sort of sin, and I can just go out and live however it is that I want to live. And this morning is a challenge to those of us that may feel that we are immunized in our lives. Hey, yeah, no, 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 I've, I've done that. I've done the right things. I was baptized as a kid. I was christened. I've been brought up in church. I'm a member. Whatever it is that we may think in our lives that saves us from our sins. But rather, we want to challenge ourselves. So then God speaks, and when he speaks in 400 years later into time, what did he do? He sent his word into it. And what we are going to look at this morning is we are going to look at some of the words of, of the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John, and that's where I really want you, I, I know that I mentioned Malachi, but ultimately this morning I'd like you to turn to the book of, to the Gospel of John, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and if not, the verses are going to be up here on the screen for us as well, but because John is going to speak right into the midst of a situation, all right? He is going to come right into an area where people were, were believing that, you know what, as long as I followed temple rules, I was okay. And then there were other people that they'd already broken them all, and they're like, we know that we're not okay. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you're aware of that, right? You're aware of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the special rules that they set up that people had to keep. And when people weren't able to keep them, guess what? They just gave up because there was no chance for them. There was no hope for them. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were sure to look down at them. Remember Mary Magdalene, what was, her, what was her job? She was a woman of the night, and yet Jesus came to her, and what did she do? Her life changed miraculously. A thief on the cross calls out to God, hey, can you save me? Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not next week, not two weeks from now. Not, well, let's, you got to do your penance first. You got to do your time first. So maybe somewhere down the line. But today you'll be with me in paradise. So there is the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And John wants to tell us about it. John wants to give us some insight. And I just want to remind you, as I so frequently do when I talk about these New Testament passages, John was an eyewitness. John was the person that was there with Christ. He spent what many believe is the three years of Christ's ministry. John spent his time right with him. John was right there, first-hand account, closest of the disciples to Jesus, right? Walking with him throughout that entire time, and John is there with him, and John, near the end of his life, says, you know what? I've got to write down these details, I've got to write down what it is that, that we need to know about Jesus. I need to make sure that people know this. I've told these stories for years, but maybe I need to continue to write them down. And as John writes his gospel and the Holy Spirit miraculously works through him, and miraculously, this is preserved for us all these years later, 2,000 years later. How is it preserved for us 2,000 years later? 
Because people saw it as important and they wrote it down and they documented it and they kept track of it and kept track of it and kept track of it time and time again. That is why we have the Gospel of John. So John, into this motive right here, he gives us at the end of his book the reason that he's written his book. And it's this right here. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. However, however he continues, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So as we look at this story this morning in the Gospel of John, I want you to be reminded in your mind that this passage is given to us, it is preserved for us today, 2,000 years later. Why? So that we can know. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Why was he writing that? Because people didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah. There was a lot of skepticism around the area of his early time. And the church was exploding and growing, but there were still more people that needed to hear, more people that needed to believe, more people that needed to know. John's there like, no, I, I was with him. I was one of the ones that on that Sunday morning, guess what? We weren't at the tomb with a welcome party with food set up there for him and balloons and everything like that and saying, Jesus, welcome back. We knew you'd be here. As a matter of fact, no, we, I was one of the ones, I was off hidden and I was scared and it was the ladies that came and said, hey, the tomb's empty. And I'm one of the ones that ran over and said, hey, let's look into this. And my mind started to think, what in the world's going on? Why? Because people that are crucified on a Roman cross and buried in a tomb, they don't get up and walk out. And John's there like, I I'm going to go to my death proclaiming this. Why? Because he did. And it's not just a story that I want to tell. It's not just a story that was written 500 years later, but rather it's a story that John wrote right there in the first century as an eyewitness of what took place. And he's there like, I want you to know. And here we are 2,000 years later, still knowing still believing because of the words of eyewitnesses to the account like John. So back in John 1, we're going to take a look at this passage of Scripture right here. John chapter 1 says these words right here to us. All right, He was in the world. All right, This is talking about Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. When he says this own, I want you to understand that is reference back. Think of what I talked about with Malachi. He came to his own. He came to the nation of Israel to proclaim that he is their Messiah. But John is writing his own. They did not recognize him. Guess what? Those religious leaders that found it so important to burn those fires that Malachi was talking about, that he's warning, hey, stop doing it. Close the temple. You're missing everything. It's, the, it's those individuals that missed Jesus. They weren't aware of him, John tells us. And he continues on. Yet, see, there was good news. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that great news? To those that were born in his, in, in his name, he, he gave the right to become children of God. Of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, hopefully as I say all that, you're tracking with me, because I just want you to know that's the introduction. Whew. I need a snack. Anybody got a snack for or anything like that? 
Right? It's going to be a while. Remember how I said the second service, they're running late? Thank you. Remember how the second service, they're running late? Now you know why. I mean, the introduction, we're 20 minutes in, and we're like, oh, Joel, where are you at? John chapter 3. Turn there, and hopefully the regular message is shorter than the introduction, right? That's what you're all hoping. All right, we'll see, if we can, we'll see if we can make it work there. But I want you to understand. I want you to catch the background. There are religious people that are there, and they are involved in the temple. They've been involved. God has been silent for 400 years. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is thrown into the scene. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, the people that were the religious leaders, they missed him. They didn't see him. Those were religious and involved. They were continuing on with all their duties, all their responsibilities, but they missed Jesus. And here he is. And he says, no, 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 you must be born of God. And... In chapter three, what we, excuse me, in chapter three of John, what we are going to notice is that we need to have two marks, that there are two marks of saving faith in our life. And the two marks, the first one is this, it's new birth. There needs to be new birth in your life. We need to be born of God, right? Kenny Chesney even sings about it. It's got to be true. Only a few Kenny Chesney fans. All right, we'll work on it. Anyway, but no, it, there we go. We must, be, we must have a new birth that's in our lives. And this is how it goes. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. I want you to know that if you have been brought up in church, this is a passage that is going to be familiar to you. If you were a, well, a visitor, I just want you to get a picture of what God is doing. If you were new to this, this is what God is doing. There was a Pharisee. What am I talking about? That religious individual back that we were talking about from Malachi, one of the religious leaders. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus was somebody that was good about keeping the rule, keeping the laws, doing what was right, being involved in the tradition of religion and yet he's going to miss it. He came to Jesus at night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not in him. Jesus replied in verse 3, and he says this right here, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Here we are, we're referencing back to that born idea. And Nicodemus asks the question, all right? He asks the obvious question. And the obvious question is this, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus isn't dumb. He's like, I, I, I don't get it. What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you saying? How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. And all of us who have grown up in church and have heard this passage before, we all scratch our heads and say, boy, that Nicodemus, he was really dumb. Who would think that, right? Isn't that, is it, am I the only one that thinks that, or do others think that as well? I think some of you think that as well, that you're like, yeah, Nicodemus, he wasn't the brightest person. But we've heard this all of our lives. To Nicodemus, he's like, what, what are you talking about? You, you can't be born. I'm old. I can't, I can't be born again. I've already been born. And Jesus responds to him with this reply. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Huh. Hang on a minute. Nicodemus might be saying, oh, okay, hang on, hang on. Born of water and born of the Spirit. I don't know about that Spirit part, but if you're talking about religion, Jesus, there's, don't you mean born of the law? We need to be law followers 
right? Isn't that what you mean? If you're a really good law keeper then, isn't that what you would more want to talk about? The idea that we need to keep And Jesus said, no, no, no. We, we need to be born of the Spirit. Yeah, I understand, Nicodemus, that you're born. You're here in front of me. I'm talking to you. You were clearly born. You exist, all right? But you need to be born of something else, something greater, something more important. And Jesus continues on. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Not the law gives birth to law. Not tradition gives birth to born again. Not good attendance gives that. Not following the rules well. Not all of that, but rather the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised, he continues and says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is asking the question, and he's curious, and he's wondering, why? Because Jesus is different than all the rabbis. He is different than all the other religious teachers. He doesn't appear to be focused on just the rules and the laws and everything that everybody needs to do. Why? Because he's God. He's the maker of them. All right? He's not there to just tell the people, but rather he's there like, I want you to have a new birth. And not only is it important, not only are those two marks, not only is one of them new birth, but the next one is new life. If we want to have the, new, the marks of, the, of God, the marks of saving faith in our lives, we need to have a new birth. We need to have a new life. There needs to be a change that occurs within us. A change that takes place within us. And Jesus is going to go on and he's going to tell a story to Nicodemus. And as he tells a story to Nicodemus, um, I'll just say this. Um, as we go to the next verse, it says this, Jesus, just as Moses lifted up the snake. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I just want you to realize that what Jesus is going to here is he is going to what Nicodemus understands. Nicodemus, as a teacher of the law, as a Pharisee, one who understands Old Testament law, he should understand, and he's probably aware of this passage. So Jesus takes him back to what it is. Nicodemus, this is something that you will understand. And he's going back and he's saying, Nicodemus, do you remember, do you remember when Moses was leading the people into the promised land? When originally they came out of Egypt and he was leading them up and then they wandered in the wilderness and they started to grumble and they were grumbling about God and they were upset. And what did God do? He unleashed a bunch of serpents in the, within the camp and the serpents were, were, whatever serpents do, do they bite, do they sting? I, I don't know, whatever it is that they do. They're biting the people and guess what? People are dying. And they're there, Moses, what do we do? They're crying out for help, what do we do? And, and God told Moses, Moses, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take a serpent. By the way, we see it today on your medical displays, right? On medical displays still today. The serpent around the rod. And what does Moses do? He takes it and he lifts it up. And he tells the people, if they will look to that, they will live. And that is what Jesus and the people that looked to it, they were saved. Their lives were saved 1,200 years prior to Jesus telling this story. Um, tell, actually, probably a little more than 13, 1,400 years prior to Jesus telling this story to, to um, Nicodemus here. He is lifting that snake up, and he's telling people to look. And that's what he's referencing here for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, just as they were then, you need to know this in the wilderness. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And he continues on with that verse, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have everlasting life. And Jesus continues with Nicodemus and he tells him, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Sometimes in our religion, and just in our religious practices, we can get that part really good about the condemning, right? God came into the world to condemn. That's what, that's what we think. God's just there to get me, and oh boy, he's really going to get them. Have you seen that? He is really going to get those. I, I, I'm just certain of that. And Jesus was there to Nicodemus, a follower of the law, a Pharisee, and he's letting him know God didn't come to condemn, but rather he came to save. A different message to a group of people that thought that the gods were always there just looking down. Who is it? That, that's what we're about as Pharisees. We want to control the people so that they behave. Why? Well, technically, because we want God's favor, right? That's what we like to say, but we like the power, actually. But let's say God's favor, all right? And Jesus is throwing everything around on Nicodemus here, and he's telling him, no, 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 you must be born again. There must be a mark within your life. You see, Nicodemus thought that he was immunized. He thought he was good. I'm one of the good ones of Israel. I'm one of the good ones that's followed. And that can be us if we're not careful. Was Nicodemus changed? Let's jump all the way ahead in John again. Because Nicodemus' life was changed after on the day of the crucifixion. That day, all those years ago, that changed history. On that evening, after Christ is crucified, after his body is hanging there, after it's been shown that he is dead, Joseph of Arimathea shows up and he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus by night. John wants us to know that something had taken place in Nicodemus's life. A man who had been a religious leader, a Pharisee, one of those that was there for holding up, is one of the ones that's showing up at the cross. Why? Because he wants to treat, he wants to take care of that wounded body. And he brings myrrh and he brings some, some of the perfumes. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they're going to treat the body and they're going to bury him. You see, his life was marked by a new birth. It was marked by a new life. We need to be aware. We need to be cautious. Why? Because Jesus also said these words, not everyone who says to me on that day, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, is what Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If you are someone who is immersed in following religion, if you are someone who is immersed in following the rules of religion, we need to be cautious. You see, following and obeying what God has told us is very important. And we never want to minimize that. Our lives need to be changed and they need to be marked by a new birth. 
But if we are like Nicodemus, if we are like the Pharisees, we can become individuals who just follow for the sake of following and think that we are immunized to the sins of this world. Do you have the marks of saving faith in your life? Do I have the marks of saving life in my faith? Can I say in my life, can I say that I have been born again? Can I say that I have been marked by the presence of God? Am I marked by being in the presence of God? Do other people say that or do other people when they leave, they say, yeah, he's, he's a religious person. I know he goes to that church down in Conklin. They're a little nuts down there. You know, they do a few things crazy. Uh, but, 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 you know, um, it, but, I, but I don't really see any difference between him and the rest of the world. I mean, everybody else does the same things that he does. Or am I changed by the way I love others? Am I changed by the way that I treat others? Am I changed by the way that I go about my work? Am I changed by the way that I treat my family? Am I changed by the way that I treat those that aren't important to me? Am I changed by the fact that Jesus came to save sinners, of whom Paul says he was the worst, and of whom we can say, you know what, I'm not a whole lot better, Paul. I'm not a whole lot better. (coughs) You see, Paul says these words to remind us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you think that you have your religious immunization card because you've done right and I come to church and I help some people around me, I would challenge you to inspect your own life. Inspect yourself. Is God at work in your life? Have you put your trust in him? Or is your trust in works that you do? Put your trust in the ever-loving God, the Savior of this world, the one that came to die so that we may be his righteousness through him. It is all through Jesus. Pray with me if you would, please. As we close this time this morning, I want to send a challenge out. I want to send a challenge to those of you that you may be a regular attender. You may be a regular person. You may be somebody that follows. You know what? I do a lot of things really well. But I'm one of those people that thinks that following the rules is what's put me in the good graces of God. If that's you, I want to challenge you. Turn your life over to the saving faith of Jesus Christ. To the new birth, the new birth that Nicodemus experienced. Why did Nicodemus experience it? Because he was with Jesus. And as somebody that was with Jesus, his life was changed. Is that us this morning? Is that you? I pray that your life may be changed. God, I ask that you would be with each one that is here today. God, I pray that you would be at work in the hearts of those that your spirit is involved in right now, that you would not let them go, but rather that you would hold on to them and that you would say, no, 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 I'm talking to you. Don't walk out this morning without changing your life because I want you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us that have walked with you for a number of years and believe in our faith, believe that our faith is of you that you have given to us and we walk by grace in this world, may we be reminded each day that the grace of God is what sustains us, it's what holds us up 
And God, when we sin, we fall into the open arms of a loving Savior who died for our sins. And we say thank you for that. May we never become the religious leaders who miss you when you're walking right among us. God, as we close our time, I ask that you might bless, that you might encourage each one that is here. May we walk with you, may we go with you. And Lord, may we know that we serve a Savior who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, more than we even imagine through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.